I hear that Cher is talking to Sonny. It's been on television, so it must be right. I read it in the newspapers. Apparently she's talking to Sonny through a medium. And Cher says, it must be Sonny because they're talking about things that only she and Sonny knew. Is Cher really talking to Sonny? Can the living contact the dead? Millions say, yes, because I've spoken to my dead loved ones. Where is Sonny? Can the dead speak to us? Millions in North America say, yes. The question, first and foremost, is how can we know the truth about death? By going to a sea ants? How can we know the truth about death? There is only one clear word concerning death. And that is the word that comes from the Holy Bible. I want you please today to take your Bible, which is our authority. There are Bibles in the pews, and I want you please to take a Bible and turn with me firstly today to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, and for the Australian audience, that's Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 19 and 20, please. And I want everybody, if you don't mind, if it's not your custom, please do it today because it's going to bless you. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19 and 20. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. The Bible says when they say go to a sea ants, to find out the truth about the dead, or the truth even about the living, the Bible says, should not a people go to God? And should not a people go to the law and to the testimony to the Holy Scriptures? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, put it very, very plainly when Jesus said in John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. If you want to know the truth on any subject, my dearly beloved friends, you go to the truth of the word of God. It is our authority. The Bible says that there are many deceptions in the world today. Many different notions of truth. I've heard it said, not so very long ago either, I've heard it said, what I believe is truth. If I believe it enough, it makes it truth. No, it doesn't. No, no, no. Others have said, what makes me feel good is truth for me. Others say, 
what is truth for you may not be truth for me and what is truth for me may not be truth for somebody else. No, I don't believe that is true. The Bible says, your word is truth. This book that we hold in our hands is the source of infallible truth. I want you to know today the truth is the very opposite to lies and deception. Even if I am convinced that the lies and deceptions are truth, and it makes me feel good, it doesn't make it truth. Truth is not relative. Truth is objective and eternal and cannot change. I want you please to come over here to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, where it talks about the work of the last day Antichrist, dear people. Come over here to Second Thessalonians, that's in the, in the New Testament, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 9 and onwards where Paul talks about the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 9 and onwards. The Bible says, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Before we read any further, the Bible talks very plainly about counterfeit signs and wonders. The Bible says that there is going to be in these last days an overwhelming deception. And people will see miracles and they will see healings and they will see extraordinary events and they will say my eyes have seen these things and this is the truth verse 10 says and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing they perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved for this reason god sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So the Bible says in the last days when the Antichrist comes he is going to come with overwhelming delusions and people are going to be deceived because they choose to believe the lie rather than the truth. Hitler said it when he said, people are more inclined to believe a big lie than a small lie. Therefore, he said, we will tell the biggest lie possible. And When they did a survey of the great German nation, when Hitler was about to start World War II, 95% of the people supported him and believed the big lie. And the big lie in the days of Hitler led to the Second World War, the death of 6 million Jews, 25 or 30 million Russians, almost a million Americans, and we're not talking about 
the British or the Australians or the rest of the world. The big lie was believed because it is easier to believe a big lie than it is to believe a little lie. And today I'm going to talk about the big lie that millions believe. The Bible makes it very, very plain that history commences and climaxes with a powerful delusion, a big lie. History commences with a big lie. History finishes with a big lie. We've just read the text on the climax. The final manifestation of Antichrist is through a big, big lie, a big counterfeit lie that millions of people believe because they don't read and believe the word of God. But just as history climaxes with a big lie, history commences with a big lie. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3, please, where it talks about the oldest religion in the world apart from the religion of God. Genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 and onwards, where it talks about the very beginning of the human race. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 and onwards. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any, any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. My friend, notice this here on the blackboard. These are the words we've just read. God said, it was God, my friend, who said, God said, you will die. But Lucifer, the leader of the hosts of darkness, said, you will not die. But you will be like God. You cannot die, said Lucifer, because you have an immortal soul. And every person must choose in his own soul whether he will choose to believe the words of God or believe the big lie the big lie and millions today are believing the big lie every religious system in the world believes in the immortality of the soul. The Egyptians, that's why they built the pyramids. The Babylonians believed in the immortality of the soul. The most famous, of course, are the Greeks. The Greeks believed in dualism, that a person was composed of a body that was a shell that contained an immortal soul. And so when Socrates is about to drink the fatal hemlock, his disciples are agitated, he says with a smile on his face, don't be concerned, this body is only a shell. As soon as I die, my soul is released into the presence of God. The Greeks believed the big 
lie. Today, the vast Roman Catholic Church that we appreciate and respect, composed of a billion believers, believes in the immortality of the soul. Their theology is based upon it, with prayers for the dead and purgatory and all these other things. Millions of my Protestant friends, millions of them, believe in the immortality of the soul. If you go to Russia, you'll find that millions of Russian Orthodox believers believe in the immortality of the soul, as well as the Greek Orthodox Church. If you go to India, you'll meet there millions, hundreds of millions of Hindus who believe in the immortality of the soul. If you go to China, you find that the people there worship the souls and the spirits of their ancestors. They believe in the immortality of the soul, as well as more than 200 million people in the continent of Africa. And then if you go to the Muslim world with its teeming hordes, millions and millions, they too believe in the immortality of the soul. Every religion in the world believes in the immortality of the soul with one conspicuous exception, the religion of the Bible. The religion of the Bible does not believe in the devil's lie. It does not believe that man has an immortal soul. I want you please now to consider just a little bit of the evidence from the word of God. Would you please come here to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5. A little bit of the evidence. We're going to come to the book of Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs. And then you're getting heart. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5. The Bible says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. The Bible says, you can see it there. It's as plain as the nose on your face. The Bible says, the dead know nothing. Sonny Bono share knows nothing. The Bible tells me that Sonny is in a state of unconsciousness. Did not God express it correctly when he said, you will die? But Satan said, no, you won't. Would you please come over here to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 14 and onwards. And we turn to these texts because that is our authority, you see. We're not here to teach the teachings of men or the teachings of churches or the teachings of the New Age people. We're here to teach what the Bible says. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 14 and onwards. The Bible says to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal. I want you to notice it. The Bible says God alone. God alone is immortal. And if God alone, my friend, is immortal, it is not correct to say that a man has an immortal soul. People say everybody believes it, conceded. But I say everybody believes it except the teachings of the Bible. The Bible says God alone is immortal. Would you please come to Acts chapter 7? And I'm so glad to hear the pages of the Bibles being turned. It's music to my ears. Acts chapter 7 and verse 59 and 
60. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he'd said this, he fell asleep. Therefore, the Bible teaches, and it's so plain, you don't need to think very hard about this. It's so plain. The Bible says that the saints are sleeping. Did you hear this? And I hope this is not true in our church today. But the Bible says that when this man was stoned to death, the Bible says he fell asleep. And therefore the Bible teaches that the saints are sleeping. And if Sonny Bono died with his faith in Jesus, he is a sleeping saint. Would you please come to Acts chapter 2 and verse 34, where it talks about one of the great saints of the Bible, King David. Acts chapter 2 and verse 34, dear hearts and gentle people. The Bible says, for David did not ascend to heaven. These are the words of scripture. David is not in heaven. The man who wrote the book of Psalms, the man who was after God's own heart. The Bible says David is not in heaven. And if David is not in heaven, neither is Sonny Bono. No person when he dies goes to heaven. The Bible says he goes to sleep and he waits until the resurrection as is taught plainly here in John chapter 11 where you have the words of the life giver Jesus Christ come over here to John chapter 11 dear hearts and gentle people John chapter 11 and verse 11 and onwards Jesus is speaking after he'd said this he went on to tell them our friend Lazarus has fallen what does it say dear friend say it loud asleep but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So Jesus said, and these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Lazarus was what? He was sleeping. Yes, we know he was dead. But we're here today to discover what is the condition of man in death. And Jesus said, Lazarus was sleeping. These are the words of God. And then we turn back to the words of Daniel. Come now to Daniel chapter 12. Back in the Old Testament. Back to the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 12. And verse 2, where it talks about the last great resurrection day. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. The Bible says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. The Bible says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth. Therefore, those who sleep in Christ, those who fall asleep in Christ, the Bible says they are going to be resurrected. So the Bible teaches that the state of man in death is one of sleep. Now come over to the words of the great Saint Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And remember, the greatest thing in these last days, the greatest thing to watch is deception. 
First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 and 16. Paul says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall what? Say it. Come on. Asleep. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now verse 16 gives us the hope. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The Bible tells us, my friend, that the resurrection is our hope. Look now. Look at it all. The Bible says the dead know, what does it say? Nothing. God alone is immortal. The saints are asleep. And it's not talking about a church service on Sabbath morning. The saints are sleeping. David, one of the greatest of all the saints, is not in heaven. Lazarus was sleeping, but God raised him from the dead. The Bible says those who sleep in Christ are going to be resurrected. And the Bible says the resurrection, not death, is our hope. That is why... There is no such place as purgatory. Doesn't mention a rating in the Bible. It's not mentioned in the Bible. There's no such place as purgatory. That is why the Bible condemns prayers for the dead. The Bible says once a person is dead, it is too late to say prayers for him. Pray for the living. But the Bible says the dead are sleeping therefore Sonny Bono is sleeping he is unconscious and if Cher thinks she's talking to Sonny she's not and we will tell you shortly to whom she is talking where are the dead come over here to the words of Jesus in John chapter 5 and verse, you notice many, many texts because this is our authority. This is our hope. John chapter 5 and verse 28 and 29. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good will rise to live, and those who've done evil will rise to be condemned. The Bible says when Jesus comes back, he's going to give a shout, and the Bible says those who are in the graves are going to hear his voice. The dead are not in heaven, the dead are not in purgatory, and the dead are not in hell. The Bible says the dead are asleep in their graves. This is the word of God. Would you please come over a little further to John chapter 11 where Jesus talks about Lazarus. And this is the man who died and Jesus said, he's sleeping. We read those verses just a few moments ago. John chapter 11 and verse 38 and onwards give you a tremendous story of how Jesus is the Lord over the grave. Great, great chapter. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Where was Lazarus? Where is Sonny? In the grave. Where is Frank Sinatra? Sleeping in the grave. And the Bible says that the dead will sleep unconscious, undisturbed, until the day of judgment, the resurrection day. And the Bible teaches there are two resurrections, one for the righteous and one for the damned. If this is so, if this is so, and it is, then, listen, the dead cannot be contacted. Remember this, my friend, the dead can not be contacted. Spiritism, billions of believers say the dead can be contacted, but the Bible says the dead can not be contacted. The doctrine of the immortality of the soul is the big lie. It is the big lie. And it came from the Garden of Eden when the serpent said, whatever God says, don't believe it, because you will not die. Who is Cher talking to? Who knows all the intimate secrets of their marriage? Who is Cher talking to? I will give you a clue. Come over here to 1 Samuel. We're going to go now to an ancient seance. We're going to go into the ancient seance chamber. And there we're going to meet King Saul and the witch of Endor. 1 Samuel chapter 28 and verse 3 and onwards. Verses 3 down to 16. 1 Samuel 28 verses 3 down to 16. Notice these words, please. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 3 and onwards. Notice it in the Bible. Now Samuel was what? How much did Samuel know? Let me say it again. Now Samuel was dead. How much did he know? Where was he? He was in the grave. What was his state? He was sleeping. Now Samuel was dead. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramar. Saul had, had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. Did you notice this? He got rid of the mediums and the spiritists. You know why? Because the mediums and the spiritists were under the curse of Almighty God. And because they were tied in with a worship that was far into the worship of the God of heaven, the Bible says 
that Saul got rid of the mediums and the spiritists. If you're going to go and see, if you're seeing a medium or a spiritist, you're going contrary to the very word of God. You are in a state of dreadful peril. I plead with you, turn away from spiritism. Listen to the words. Verse 4. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all the Israelites and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit, spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. My friend, this has been repeated a million times. It's happening today to share. Where a person goes and consults a medium. And the medium brings up a spirit. And we're going to see that this spirit here was an impersonating spirit. Masquerading. Read on with me, dear hearts. Verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me? Now that the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy. Notice the story. The Bible says plainly, it is a spirit. Out of all the churches are right, then the spirits of the dead don't go to the ground, they go to heaven. It is taught by almost every church that when a person dies, the spirit goes to heaven. The problem here is that this spirit came up out of the ground. You know why he came up out of the ground? He came up out of the belly of hell, that's why. This was not the spirit of the prophet who knew nothing because the Bible says Samuel was dead and he knew nothing. This was a spirit that was masquerading, that that impersonated the dead prophet. Listen, 
When people go into the sea ants chamber, they terribly put their souls in peril. There's nothing more satanic, nothing more dangerous. There are millions of Americans today who are going and consulting the dead. They're consulting spirits from hell, impersonating their loved ones. I will prove it to you. My first brush with spiritism came when I was a silly teenager. To get a kick, some of us decided in our old car that we were going to go on a Saturday night to a seance chamber. We talked about it all the way there, but the car broke down, which was God looking after me. But I had to get a, a tram home, and then get a bus, then walk, and we were somewhat in those days out in the country. I came in, let myself in through the back door, silly, silly teenager. First thing I did was to go to the fridge. It's marvelous what you can get away with when you're a teenager. So I had a big, big feed. Not a meal, a feed. And then, with my mind filled with the spirits, I went and got into bed and locked the back door. There had been prowlers. It was out in the bush, and my father had not only put a lock on the door, but he'd put a big deadbolt. So the door was doubly locked. I got into bed, and a few minutes later heard the wind blow through the house as the door unlocked itself. My father, during the night, got up several times. At breakfast, he said, John, did you get up and go outside half a dozen times last night? I said, no, sir. He said, somebody unlocked the door and moved back the bolt all through the night. He said, I was up all through the night, locking the door, kept opening. My mother, an earnest Christian, said, it's almost as though we have someone in the house who is dabbling in spiritism. And I said, yes, I was going to a seance. That was my first brush with spiritism. God gave me a warning because the person who opened that door was an evil angel. Would you please come to Revelation 12? Revelation 12, verses 7 to 9, dear hearts. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. Revelation 12, verses 7 to 9. The Bible says... And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. At the very beginning, as you know, beginning of the history of this world, there was a war in heaven. Satan was cast out 
And this earth became the home of millions, billions of angels in rebellion against God. And on one occasion, when Jesus was casting out a demon, you know the story. Jesus said, what is your name? Remember these men who were filled with demons, who were breaking the chains? Jesus said, what is your name? And the demon spoke back and said, legion, for we are many. Legion, for we are many. And the Bible teaches that these evil angels, legion, by name and by number, have the ability to impersonate. Please come to the words of Paul in Corinthians, dear hearts. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, 13 and 14. 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 13 and 14, please. 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 13 and 14. The Bible says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. Listen to me before we read the next verse. Just because a person claims to be a minister doesn't make him a minister. Just because a person claims to be an evangelist doesn't make him an evangelist. Just because a person claims to be an apostle doesn't make him an apostle. The Bible says that there are deceivers who deceive the people and millions of people are deceived by false apostles because they do not follow truth. They follow their gut emotions. So the Bible says there are false apostles, false preachers, and then the Bible says there's no wonder about this. Verse 14, no wonder and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. If you saw the devil today, he would not be a grotesque figure with cloven hooves and a pitchfork. He would be a magnificent, shining, sophisticated, charming being who could preach a million times better than any human preacher today. He could talk about the love of God and the wonders of the love of God. He would heal the sick. And probably 95% or 99% would say, thank God for this person. Listen, my friends. Millions today in America, in Europe, and in Russia are being deceived by fallen angels who impersonate the dead. Who is Cher talking to? She's talking to an angel. She's talking to a fallen angel who is impersonating Cher. Sonny, impersonating Sonny. Cher says, it must be him 
because only this being knows the intimate details. Listen, my friend, there's someone listening to you now. He can't read your thoughts, but he's listening to you. He listens to every word you say, and he never forgets. Evil angels have a perfect record of your conversations, of the details of your life, and they can come back and they can impersonate the dead. And they do it over and over again. This subject is the most difficult subject for a person who's tied up with this to accept it. Because spiritism has almost an overwhelming power. If you were to offer me $10 million and give it to the ministry, if I would go with you to a seance, I would say no. Because my soul is worth more than $10 million. Spiritism is an almost overwhelming delusion. What should I do? Firstly, I should believe the truth. Let me say it to you. Some of you here today, perhaps you don't understand what is truth. Truth is truth is truth. Believe the truth. Number two, shun spiritism as the embodiment of evil. I'll never forget running a series of meetings north of Sydney years ago. A lady came to those meetings. I could tell she was in deep trouble. She said to me, Pastor Carter, would you please come to my home? I went to her home. As soon as I walked through the door with John Hammond, I wasn't going by myself, the hair on the back of my neck stood up and I felt something. The children were cowering in the bedroom. She said, look at my throat. There were the marks of a man on her throat. She said, he comes every night, tries to strangle me. She said, the curtains float around, the curtain rods come out like spears. I said, what have you been doing? She said, there was a time I knew God. I went to church. I kept the commandments. But I turned away, and then I went to a sea ants. As I prayed to her, with her, and got her down on her knees, it was as though I was praying to this pew. Her eyes glassed over, and when I would finish the prayer, I'd say, did you hear what I said? Didn't hear a word. Satan would come and blot out my voice. I struggled with her for hours. My friend, there is a real world of evil. Shun spiritism as the embodiment of evil. And then, my friend, commit your life to Jesus Christ and read his word every day. Go to a church where the word of God is preached from the pulpit. Not all churches are the same. It is dangerous to go to some churches. Go to a church where Christ is preached and the word of God is explained by the preacher. I want you to come over here to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11 and verse 14 and onwards. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who'd been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? 
I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. I'm here today to tell you to put your life into the hands of this stronger man. Satan is a strong man, but the Bible tells me there is a stronger man, and his name is Jesus. When I was a boy growing up in Australia, I went to a camp meeting and met there a Fuzzy Wuzzy, a man from the Solomon Islands. We call them Fuzzy Wuzzies. Solomon Islander, his name was Katarangaso. When he was a little boy, he was born into a family of cannibals. His name was Rangaso, which means devil strings. They were all spiritists. When our missionaries went there from Australia, they went there at the risk of their lives. They were spiritualists and cannibals. But the missionaries came and these people gave their lives to Christ. And what a change came into their lives. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And, Carter, and Rangaso's name was changed to Carter Rangaso. That means no devil strings. During the Second World War, as a faithful pastor of this church, a faithful commandment keeper, he was taken by the enemy and tortured and bayoneted. But he wouldn't give up the faith or break God's commandments. I looked into his face when I was a boy, when he was out there as a pastor, and I looked into the face of an angel. That's why the American author wrote about those men who protected our soldiers with the words, the fuzzy-wuzzy angels of the Owen Stanley track. And the look upon their faces makes you think that Christ was black, bringing back the wounded soldiers just as steady as a hearse. And so it goes. From Rangaso to Carter Rangaso, from a cannibal to a child of God. And so today I ask you, turn your back on spiritism and take into your life the man who was stronger. Take into your life the man who was Lord of all, our Lord Jesus Christ.